It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Paddock and the Pavilion. After two pods covering England's tour of India with Simon Finch, the Barmy Army trumpeter and former England player Dennis Amis, do check them out if you haven't already done so, we are back to the turf today with Harry Herbert, the charismatic chairman and managing director of High Clear Thoroughbred Racing. Harry talks about how he set up High Clear Racing and how he and his team manage Europe's leading racehorse syndication company. We focus on the journey of Highclere's first domestic classic winner, Cachet, the 2022 1,000 guineas winner, who was sold for 2.2 million guineas at Tattersall's Scepter Sessions in December 2023. We even have a bit of cricket, as Harry recalls the day in 1994 when his father's team, the Earl of Carnarvon's Eleven, hosted the South African team in a momentous match at the Highclere Castle ground. A perfect episode for possibly the only podcast which covers cricket and horse racing. Hello, Harry. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome you to the Paddock and the Pavilion. Thanks, Stephen. You're very good to have me. Well, on today's show, I want to find out more about High Clear Thoroughbred Racing, your former filly Cachet's incredible journey, <laughs> along with your love of horse racing and cricket, a perfect guest for the podcast. <laughs> well i loved uh i love cricket but um yeah wish i wish i'd been a better cricketer but uh um no they're two two great loves and but yeah horse racing has uh, has been my you know been my career for many moons now but to begin let's take you back to the 5th of december 2023 how were you feeling when cachet went into the ring at park paddock Tattersalls? Do you know, it was it was an extraordinarily emotional time. I was standing. Um, we had quite a number of our share owners there, and she was part of a twenty share syndicate. Um, I think they'd each put in about six thousand um, pounds, you know, to be a to, for, for for their share. Um, we paid sixty thousand um, guineas for the filly. Um, Jake Warren absolutely mad about her at the breeze ups, and um, and here we were 
with one of the most exciting, you know, lots of the Scepter session. Um, and about to, it's hard to explain. It's sort of, I didn't expect to get emotional. I mean, I often get emotional with sort of, as everyone knows, I'm the first to blub when a Paul Savas wins a big race, especially when she won the 1,000 guineas. But this was a sort of end game for Cachet. And this packed auditorium, packed outside, um, you know, great expectancy and, um, and all the people that had been involved with her, you know, were there from obviously George Bowie and some of his team, um, um, the stud team at Highclere, where she'd been prepared for the sale, um, and share owners. You know, it was very emotional, but she and very exciting. But she went in there, and like all sales, you never quite know what's going to happen. Um, but um, we thought, well, she's definitely not going to make less than a million, so we're going to we're going to reserve her at that sort of figure. Um, and then we'll go from there and see what see what the market decrees. So uh, yeah, the fact that she made two point two point two million was was absolutely fantastic. And uh, we you know chuffed a bit, and we had a dinner afterwards at Tats in the Red Room there, and celebrations, and um, yeah, closing another chapter and a very exciting chapter for that particular syndicate. So the, so the filly was calm in the ring with with all that crowd, but um, you were you were nervous. Very nervous, very, very nervous. Um, it's bad enough when you're trying to buy them. I mean, I mean it, it, it is, you know, Stephen, when she went through the, the ring, you know, and we were trying to buy her and, and she sort of crept to 60,000. And I was thinking, mm, I'm not sure how much further we're going to go. And, um, uh, you, you know, we managed to get her for that figure. Um, and then we found out that George Bowie was underbidder. Um, I think for Nick Bradley. Um, and um, so it was a great relief. We thought, well, we should send her to, to, you know, to George because George is, you know, was admirers of and, you know, I knew him when he was assistant to Hugo Palmer and I was working with Al Shakab and always very impressive to me then. And um, and this was an opportunity to, you know, to, to send a, what looked to be a really nice filly, um, albeit by a first season sire and not the greatest pedigree in the world, but um, a beautiful filly that had breezed really well. Um, Jake Warren's got a terrific eye for you know these breeds up horses, and it's not just the time they do you know as they pass the post. It's also he really studies the, what they call the gallop out, um, that sort of furlong, half furlong to a furlong past the post, um, and see how much um, you know gas they've got left got left in the tank. So he was absolutely not going to leave the sale without buying cachet and um so that was uh yeah it was nerve-wracking then it was nerve-wracking when she went around the ring and round and round and round it you know when they make 2.2 million it takes a long, long time to sell them um but once you get to a certain point you can enjoy it um and just sort of you know lap up that extraordinary theater that tattersall's um you know produces well she was one of 10 lots to sell for over 1 million guineas in the scepter sessions uh, the second year of the Scepter Sessions. And before I ask you for your thoughts on the Scepter Sessions, uh, we're just going to hear a clip from uh, Bloodstock executive Freddie McKibben from Tattersalls. How did the Scepter Sessions as part of the annual December Mayor Sale come about, the first one being in 2022? Hi, Stephen. Well, thanks for having me back on the podcast. Yeah, the first Scepter Sessions was back in 2022. And before the set sessions were introduced, the December mayor's sale was and still currently is already long established. 
as the most prestigious showcase of world-class breeding stock in Europe. So um, it was bearing that in mind in the interest of Tatsils to create a select session highlighting and showcasing the highest quality race fillies and mares in the December mares sale. Now, there's a bit of a story as to why Scepter Sessions are called the Scepter Sessions, and um, that takes its name from the great race filly Scepter. Now, she's the only horse ever to win four outright classics, that being both Guineas, the Oaks, and the St. Ledger. And she was even fourth in the Derby as well um, in her three year old career. She herself was actually sold for 10,000 guineas back in 1900, which was there, which was then a record uh, for that time back at Tattersall's. Um, so, yeah, it's a wonderful bit of history being able to incorporate the name of such a great filly into what are such brilliant showcase sessions. Um, Scepter's very much a part of the Tattersall's history in that she was actually owned for a short while by Somerville Tatsell, who was then a senior partner. So um, it links back wonderfully to the history of Tatsell's. You had a brilliant start in 2022 with Alcohol Free selling for 5.4 million and Saffron Beach 3.6 million guineas. How would you compare 2023? Well, 2022 was brilliant on all fronts because the December mayor sale as a whole was a record-breaking year, which the Scepter Sessions contributed to. Now, just to put things into perspective, the Scepter Sessions were responsible for 45 million guineas of the 80 million guineas that was turned over during the December mayor sale. So that's quite a significant contribution. Um, the Scepter Sessions in 2022 averaged 640,000 guineas as well and um as you alluded to we had alcohol free mate 5.4 million we had saffron beach mate 3.6 million um so by that standard going to 2023 it was always going to be tough to to level up on those record-breaking figures now to put it into perspective again as well 2023 we offered 13 less horses in the scepter sessions than in 2022 um, and we turned over 39 million guineas our average was up above 750,000 guineas compared to that of 22 which was 640,000 guineas so again um, another increase which was which was great the highlights being Tiona making 4.5 million guineas selling to Judmont um, then we had Via Sestina making 2.7 million guineas so yes I think um, 2023 measured up very well when you um when you look at 2023 and 2022 in comparison considering we tightened the session so um no it's all positives and um and they're a great feature of the december mayor sale an interesting story in the 2023 scepter sessions was cache yes cache sold for 2.2 million guineas by high claire and sold to katsumi yoshida of northern farm her story has gone full circle, really. I mean, it started off in the Craven Breeze up sale when she was a two-year-old, when she was consigned by High Park Stud. So John Burke offered her up after her breeze and she was bought by High Clare for 60,000 guineas. Now, what was to come after that was quite special. She was a quality race filly and her story ended at Tatsell's in this year as well, last year's 
2023 scepter sessions when she sold for 2.2 million and now she's embarking on a breeding career that um hopefully is as successful as her racing career so um no it's a great story and and stories like that really enhance the scepter sessions and and it's those stories we look for and a story like that when uh, uh philly has, has gone through breeze ups and then uh the scepter sessions a, a great advertisement for tassels yes a brilliant advertisement um look it's it's great to be able to offer Phillies just embarking on their racing career and then once their racing career has been successful re-offer them before they start a, a new campaign in the breeding shed so um no it's a, a credit to high claire as well she's been such a superstar for them and um and no hopefully many more stories like that to come from tattersall's what do you think of the the scepter sessions uh, they're a new initiative that started in 2022 by tattersall's i think they're really good i mean i think i think having the the, the sort of creme de la creme you know all together um does create a fantastic atmosphere um you know there's there's not an inch of room left in the ring you know seating or standing for people to be and that you know atmosphere creates um excitement for bidders um and um I, and that's what that's achieving the scepter session and it, of course it's any animal that makes the scepter se- session is a you know is 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 a serious serious um you know, much prized um, mare or racehorse or both in, you know, in the lineup. So everyone in the world is watching, gets it, knows who's in the scepter session, can't be missed. And um, I think it seems to have worked very well. Was there ever a, a chance that you wouldn't have sold Cachet and she became a, a brood mare? No, our, our our model that we use at Highclere is always to sell. Um, once you become a brood, you know, you keep and they become brood mares, you know, you're into a totally different, well, apart from being a different tax bracket for starters, um, obviously if selling in training, um, there is no capital gains tax um, and, and tax on prize money or anything. So, so the share owners, you know, get what she makes um, or what she made. Whereas you know, you suddenly you go into a breeding operation, then it's a you know, you're into a, a, a different business model altogether, um, and that's not something that I ever wanted to do. It's not my forte, um, and um, and I think for share owners, they need to know that there's a strict cutoff point. Um, they're not just sort of open ended investment that goes from racehorse into into broodmare. Well, we're going to come back to Cachet's racing career. But I'd like to ask you about your love of racing. How did that all start? I, I'm, I'm guessing it's your, your your father, as he as he was the the Queen's the late Queen's racing manager. Very very much so. I mean, to be to be honest, I I, I rather rebelled against it um, for for years. The last thing in the world I was going to do was get into racing, and the mood of the house, you know, just went sort of up and down, depending on how well or otherwise. My dad's horses were doing, or, or indeed the Queen's horses were doing, and um, you know, to me it was just so boring. Um, and I didn't ride; gave up when I was ten. You know, terrified by a, a very scary lady at the pony club. And um, horses what were not going to be my thing. You know, acting is what I wanted to do, and um, so I, you know, went into the city to lick sort of stamps and half you know get some little tiny bit of income um to pay my way to try and be an actor which 
sadly didn't sadly didn't didn't work but when i was 20 or thereabouts 2021 20, it was a bit like a dormant gene it began to wake up and i began following uh, you know my dad's horses and the queen's horses um because i was working in the in a general office of, of a stockbroker school called, called rowan Pittman. you know the lads and i you, you know we all used to go out to the you know the the bookies at lunchtime and um you know we'd be checking the form and i suddenly just became obsessed with you know the whole thing of form and trying to work out what was what and um and i never really looked back from there my sister um uh, you, you know we're all great friends with steve cawthon and we had i remember having dinner with steve and he said only why you didn't you know harry use your american passport your dual nationality my mother she was american he said why didn't you head off to kentucky and you know work work in the racing industry because you're obviously obsessed with it um and um you know that way you're not going to be daddy's boy here which which was a perfectly fair point and something which you know i did want to make my own way versus um um you know my dad obviously was very well known in the industry so that's what i did i moved about 1982 i think i moved off to uh, lexington kentucky worked for a company called bloodstock research which uh, was a computer company specializing in pedigrees um i would have known how to turn on a computer but it was um <laughs> you, you you didn't it was more about you know people sending in their mares and you know what the name of their mares and you'd run it through the computer and find out the best nicks um um best styling in the bloodlines you could breed that particular mare too and then the only thing i really learned at school according to my um headmaster when i left was how to write a letter and it seems that being able to write a letter was you know, it was something which stood me in good stead as um, various people in famous people in Kentucky at the time, like Nelson Bunker Hunt and, um, you know, the Claiborne team and Spendthrift team, the Hancocks, um, all sorts, um, seemed to, you know, have a good old laugh at my very flowery letters and um, wanted to get to, you know, meet me and talk more about the whole process. And and I just loved it. And then was hired away by a guy called Barry Wiseborn. Uh, to work for Bloods uh, for a matchmaker, which was a um, a company which specialised in trading stallion shares and stallion nominations, um, and that was a fan- that was my you know my really big break in life sort of thing with with, with regard to my work was working for this um, lovely guy Barry Wiseboard, who was such an inspiration and great forward thinker in the industry, um, and um, he gave one confidence to. You know, to feel like you could do anything you want, and to think laterally and freely, and come up with new ideas. And you know, I, I loved working for him. It was a really special time. Um, and um, yeah, so after four years or so, I I, uh, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, which was to come back and start a multiple ownership um, company. Um, I'd seen it work in in uh, America with a company called Dogwood Farms, a guy called Cock Campbell. And uh, yeah, that was that was, you know, my obsession was to come back and as quickly as I could, and try and start this before anyone else had the same sort of idea. So that's how how High Clear came to start. And had when you were in America, you observed a lot more syndication ownership in in that country. Well, not a lot more. I mean, there was it was happening, but it was a syndic, syndic, syndicates and syndication was quite a dirty word um there was a plenty of sort of dodgy operators around um and 
Um, some of the stud farms were doing it and, and overinflating, you know, syndicating their um, their yearlings for inflated prices, and you know, there just wasn't the legal and financial structure to to make it, um, you know, you know, a proper job. It was a bit dodge. Um, so a little bit of the same here. I mean, although very few people were doing it here, um, the lovely Henry um, Punsonby was probably, you know, the first to do it. He would have been before me. Um, and and then when I started, um, I initially did it with Nick Robinson and um, Michael Smurfit um, because I couldn't get backing from the banks to do it on my own. Um, and Nick Robinson loved the idea, you know, formerly a pacemaker and um, owned pacemaker, and he he loved the idea. So did Michael Smurfit. So we started Kennet Valley Thoroughbreds together on the back of the Cartier Million, the first ever million pound race uh, run in Europe. Um, and of course, only open to those yearlings bought at the Goffs Orby sale. So it was a really exciting way to start a syndicate business because we bought four horses. There are only about, I know, 300 or something, 280 that were eligible to run for a million. Um, and with John Warren's phenomenal eye, all four of his um, qualified to run. Um, sadly, one went wrong just before um, uh, before the race, but we ran three. Um, we started with the favourite, Philly called Mr. Muir, who'd won the Lowther at York. Um, and um, the deal was to sell all the horses by the end of the two-year-old year. And we finished second, third and fifth or sixth, I think. So we won something like £300,000 in prize money. Um, the horses sold for many times their purchase price. Um, and Kennet Valley was, you know, syndication you know, was was my life from there on. And then a few years later, sadly, the recession hit and Nick said, though, you know, that he wanted to cut back. Um, I disagreed with him. I thought it, it was mad to cut back. It's actually the right time to try and push forward and make racing more affordable for those who were, you know, perhaps struggling to pay all the you know the the bills of sole ownership um and so i started high clear in 1992 so kennet valley was 1987 racing in 1988 for the million um and then 1992 high clear started and um and that's been my my life ever since it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. 
That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. And for listeners, how, how does this, the syndicate work in Highclere and how many horses have you got? So we, when I started it, um, Stephen, I wanted it, I wanted it to be a, 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 I wanted to create the best communication possible. I wanted to try and get sole ownership and multiple ownership as close as you could possibly get them, and um, and that meant really being, um, you know, obsessive with the whole communication scenario and acting as personal racing manager to each of my um, share owners. Um, and that took a lot of work, takes a lot of work, but to me, it's absolutely critical. Um, so, you know, the chair owners could do it, would do anything that a sole owner would do. They would have, just go and see their horses, plenty of stable visits, loads of uh, videos and photographs. Um, and on the fo- apart from emails, very much on the phone communication, um, you know, talking to, to, to folks as to what the, you know, what the trainers were thinking and what we were thinking of the horses and placing the horses. So it started with that. And I think we've refined that year on year on year to try and, if possible, to continue to improve that communication process. Um, And then for it to be very clear, really, that, you know, a syndicate in those days was two horses, um, normally 20 shares. We do do, you know, we do do one 12 share syndicate every year. Um, But nowadays it's very much one horse um people like to add horses obviously in different syndicates but they want to choose which trainer they want to add with versus me producing syndicates a b c d and e and you know they say well i don't you know like this trainer but i do like that one so we now have one horse syndicates and um uh, and the same rules apply but you know we're a luxury goods company at the end of the day people spend you know good money to to buy a share in our syndicates we're buying above the average of, of, on the whole um so we're buying a, you know around the 100,000 guinea um, plus average this last year we bought a couple for 240,000 two a wooden basset colt and a wooden basset filly each cost 240 um you know beautiful horses um and we'd also buy a horse for 50 or 30 um we've got a cracking oasis dream colt with um with George Scott this year for the first time and he bought that Oasis Dream called at the December sales for 30 grand. So, so long as it fits the, you know, the looks, the confirmation, movement, um, and the pedigree is good enough, um, you know, as long as there are ticks in all those boxes, then very happy to, to buy and syndicate accordingly. So um, we have about 50, 45 fit horses, flat horses in training, something like that. Um, and we've got about 10 jumpers. Um, but uh it's about quality is the whole thing with us. You know, it's not so much a quantity thing. Um, at the end of the day, if you're, you know, that means buying probably 17 or 18 um, yearlings a year, um, which isn't a lot, you know, having having that as your power power for T-rolls. But it's uh, um, thanks to the keen eye of John Warren and now of his, of his son, my nephew, Jake Warren, um, we've been very fortunate in, racing very good horses um consistently um you know sort of year on year so um you know that's the that's the big thing it's trying to set out your stall to to for our owners to have a best chance possible of racing at the highest level the royal ascots or you know classic level you know we're, we're fortunate enough to win classic races we're fortunate enough to have horses like harbinger who is the highest rated horse in the world actually he was I see he was Equinox was given the same rating uh-huh. as Harbinger, um, which brought you, 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 you uh, 
I, I picked up that you've mentioned, obviously, that Jake and John have, have bought the horses, but I believe that Harbinger was a, a, almost a purchase of, of yours. Well, it, <laughs> I could tell my brother-in-law, John, was absolutely mad about Well, we, of course, I was too. But when John was excited about a yearling, you know, it was, it was he, 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 let, he let one know, you know, he'd get sweaty palms, he'd almost get stomach cramps, um, he'd get sort of agitated. Um, and so I knew I had to do everything I possibly could to try and buy that horse. Um, and this one, beautifully bred, um, son of, of uh, Dan Silly um, was rocketed to sort of 150 grand before you could blink. Um, and I think that the most I had in those days was probably near 125, 130 as the top lot, if you like, for, for, for my purchases. Um, and we got to, I think, about 175 or more thousand and 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 johnny warren virtually thrown his catalogue on the ground in dismay and i said no no go on go on have a bid have a bid and he swung around to me and he said well, you haven't got the money and i said um just go ahead and bid i'll find the money um so he bid and we bought harbinger on one bid um which was um you know incredibly exciting bit nerve-wracking for a time but the share owners in our top syndicate um, didn't hesitate hearing the story and how much John wanted the horse in, in anting up the difference. Um, and, um, you know, the, the, that particular adventure started and with Sir Michael Stout, didn't race at two, suddenly began to, you know, flourish at three um, and then became a world champion at four. And when he won the King George, um, the Six and Queen Elizabeth States, it was... It was an extraordinary performance. It really was an extraordinary performance. I mean, he had, you know, two Derby winners toiling in his wake, half a second off the track record, you know, one by 11 lengths. It, it, it was incredible. And um, Olivier Pellier, um, you know, told me in the piece of work when he rode the horse a week or 10 days before, um, he got off, patted the horse and and, um, and said, Harry, he'll win, he'll win the King George and he'll win the Ark. It might be one of the best horses I've sat on. <laughs> that was that was off a piece of work, Netherlands winning a King George by 11 lengths. So, oh, it was so exciting. And then sold to Japan um, for a huge amount of money and um, 12 share owners, yeah, had a had a massive payday. So do you buy vast majority of your horses at the yearling sales? Yes, we do. Um, yearling sales, and then we'd buy two or three at the breeze-ups um, each year. Um, and then we might buy again one or two from trainers who will get in touch and say, you know, look, I've got I haven't sold this yearling or breeze up, and you know, think he or she's very nice. Do you want to come and have a look? And I'm always happy to come and have a look. I'm very, very happy. Um, and we've had some success, plenty of success doing that over the years. But you know, well, I, I do it sparingly, and again, you know, the animal has to tick all the right boxes, but a good example last year would have been Sheik Columbine, um, trained by George Bowie. He said, I think I've got a nice filly, um, you know, come and have a look. And, you know, she looked a lovely filly, but very raw and almost backward at the time, but beautiful moving filly. And um, George said he really liked her. So we we um, we bought into her and she's, you know, winner of four and hopefully, um, you know, running in a listed race in France in, in about sort of a three weeks, a month's time. Um, and this year, I think, you know, we'll get her black type and um, those sorts of um, 
you know, those sorts of purchases have stood us in pretty good stead over the years. So a little bit of everything, um, Stephen, to tell you the truth. Um, so long as it's a lovely horse and we've sold enough shares in other syndicates that I'm not taking on too much debt, then we'll we'll give it a go. And you've got a, a real mix of, of trainers, as we said, Flat and National Hunt. Uh, just I've just written down a, f- a few here. You've got Andrew Baldwin, Samark Prescott, Charlie Johnson. And then on the National Hunt side, you've got Nicky Henderson, Dan Skelton. Yeah, we've we've got a you know um, Paul Nichols. We've got we're trying to use the best trainer. William Haggis has has you know William Haggis and Richard Hannon have trained um, I've trained with them for um, since I started. I think with you know Richard Senior and Junior, I think it would be something like thirty thirty five or six years unbroken having having horses um, with them Um, and some wonderful success. And when I certainly remember starting with William and. He hadn't been training long, and he's a great mate. And he's, you know, and we really, we, we thought that our ambition was to win the gym crack, <laughs> um, let alone the derby. And yeah, I think we've we've won two gym cracks together, and I think um, Mike has won three in total. Um, so it's a it's a you know that it's lovely having these dreams. It's lovely dealing with professionals who are also um, good friends. Um, and everyone gets on very well, and and and, and trainers of our share owners will enjoy not just having a horse with, but enjoy you know meeting because whether we're staying in the jockey club rooms for stable visits, the trainers you know come to dinner, um, and it's up you know you've got Roger Varian and William Haggis and George Bowie and you know and I've sort of you know Charlie Fellows um, and Newmarket now George Scott and others. It's you know it's a it's 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 a it's a lovely mix, and that's part of the attraction, I think, of syndicate life. You, you know, being able to um, maybe have not just one horse, but have a horse with a number of different trainers and um, different personalities, different training methods, different different places. You know, where you, obviously Richard Hannon is very different to training in Newmarket, or and so on. So, you know, we you know we lovely trainers. And we'd love to have you know more horses than more trainers, but you know every every horse is means trying to find twenty people to to take a share. So that's not straightforward, obviously. And you've got horses abroad in Australia, and you've had recent success there in the Caulfield Cup. Yeah, we've had a wonderful time in Australia. I mean, I I, I went over to do the Carbine Club speech um, many moons ago, probably eighteen years ago, and. Um, um little did I know that that was about a scarier um you know after lunch or dinner speech that you can make anywhere in the world 1200 drunk Aussie men um and you're the you know you're the you're the palm lining up is not the easiest but it was fun it thankfully went well um and I became sort of obsessed with that whole dream of trying to win the Melbourne Cup I think it's the most extraordinary race you know it is the race that stops the nation the build-up the media frenzy um, the prize money, the it's phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. So the next, well, I got back and I said to Sir Michael Stark, we had a horse called, good staying horse called Distinction. And I said, um, Michael, why don't we have a crack at winning the um, the Mountain Cup next year with Big D, as he was affectionately known. Um, and he loved the idea. And we we, we, we sent him down there. Um, he ran a hell of a race. Um, he wasn't helped by his jockey, who'd had a, bang on the head a couple of races before and I think probably was pretty badly concussed but still because it was a cup wanted to ride um so Big D did most of the work himself finished six I think it was Maccabi Diva's first Melbourne Cup of three um but if he had a better sort of run he would have definitely been in the first three 
Um, but it was a thrill. It was a thrill. Every owner who went says the most exciting thing we've ever done. So I thought, right, here we go. Let's try and buy, you know, either send proven high clear horses down if share owners want them to go, you know, want to give it a go. Um, so we had another one with Sir Michael called Opinion. Um, he went down there and he won um, the Metropolitan. He won a big group one race, won about 800,000 Aussie dollars. Um, and then we bought a horse uh, called Libran. Um, and he won nearly two million Aussie dollars. Um, we've had a couple of duds, but to be fair, more more than perhaps our fair share of very good horses, including um, Durston, as you pointed out there, who who won la, uh, last year's uh, well, year before last, I say Caulfield Cup, um, a, a race worth a staggering five million Aussie dollars. Attractive prize money down there. It's. It is extraordinary. I mean, I, look, we, we 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 look on in envy, if you like, from here. And that's you know, like hiking, you've got horses down there. Um, Durston winning a huge sum. Um, we've got a horse called Naval College. We bought um, from the horses training sale off off the King, bred by the late Queen. Um, he's by Dartmouth and training with Annabel Nisham, and um, we paid one hundred and eighty thousand for him, and he's already won just shy of half a million Aussie dollars. Um, he's won his last three um, and is now heading into the very big league. Um, and then we bought um, a horse called Redstone Well from Ireland. Um, and he just finished second on his second start. And for finishing second in one of these Saturday races um, at Randwick, he's earned just under 30,000 Aussie dollars for finishing second. So if you can get it right and, um, you know, then, yeah, it's a very exciting process. And we have a mix of Aussies and, and Brits in our syndicate um, there, mostly Aussies now, but um, some Brits absolutely love it. You can watch every race live, obviously, um, on the telly um, or on a you know on your tablets. And uh, when you're running for that sort of prize money, it's a very different feeling. It's a if we have a consistent horse who can run in the first three or four, you know, the high enough rating, then you know those horses. You're not asking sharing for any more money. You're actually paying back, um, you know, a divvy to them every year, and that's quite something. Not something we're not used to here. <laughs> I wanted to get the the Caulfield Cup in particularly because I've I've had the great pleasure to interview uh, Ron Hutchinson twice on this podcast, and Ron's now ninety six, and um, his son Peter always sets up Ron with the Zoom call and the microphone and. Uh, one thing that Peter's got over his dad is that Peter Hutchinson rode the winner of the Caulfield Cup in 1993, and Ron never won the Caulfield Cup. So I thought I'd I'd get had a chance now to get that uh, comment in on a podcast. Well, I <laughs> um, I yeah, when Durston won the Caulfield Cup, um, I was at home. Um, um, my wife and and, and my my mother-in-law um staying and she hadn't been too well and and it was one of those moments of everyone trying to be you know quiet and um and and I got up sort of crept downstairs turned on the telly um and then watched this extraordinary performance from Durston coming from virtually last to first at getting up to win on the line a five million um dollar race and um you know I'm a feel like a screamer when it comes to watching horses and if it's one of ours and it's got a chance of winning you know I'm very happy to let fly um so the idea that I had to keep completely quiet during this um extraordinary moment 
such a historic race. Um, you know, prize money is obviously phenomenal, but it's yeah, it is one of the great races of Australia. It meant we were then second favourite. I think we were for the Melbourne Cup, um, and we're all set. You know, big team going out to the Melbourne Cup, um, and I'm on the plane from just changed planes in Dubai, just going out to the runway, and I see I've got none read message so I sort of pressed on it and it was Chris Waller saying I'm so sorry Harry bad news the authorities are not allowing Durston to run as uh, they say there is a grey area on uh, on his ex- oh, right, yeah. and um, that was very disappointing because obviously <laughs> um, because uh, the trainer and the trainer's vet said this horse has never been better he's had ice cold legs um, he trotted up 100% sound after winning the Caulfield Cup. Um, and as you know, this is the only race um, in Australia where they, uh, you know, they they do these scans. And what I, what I struggle to understand is why they didn't let him be scanned, go uh, MRI scanned um, immediately um, versus, you know, saying, well, you know, he's uh, that's all booked up. So he can't, I'm afraid that's not going to happen um, until after the, after the Melbourne Cup. And he's, you know, second favourite, he's won a Caulfield Cup. It, it, it was all very weird, the whole thing. Um, and then when those scans did come back, and I showed them to Duncan Moyer, our vet here, the, he couldn't find anything wrong with the horse at all. So um, sadly, we just retired him for something completely different. He's uh, had a tendon injury, and we decided to call it a day literally last week. So exciting, exciting um, journey with him as well. Um, but but and- the dream goes on for the Melbourne Cup. For high clear, it does. It does now. It's it's uh, yeah, Naval College. <laughs> Probably not this year, but maybe next year. Um, but we'll see how he gets on. He's he's a pretty special horse, and he he fits the profile. And meanwhile, Redstone Wells learning the trade over there, and he, you know he he also might be good enough one day. But uh, yeah, we'll keep trying. A question for you around your yearlings. Who, who names your horses? Is it Harry Herbert, like the Queen or Late Queen? Yeah, it's um, it's, I suppose it's me who makes the final decision. Yes, um, and as everybody knows, I like single word names on the whole, um, and I like a name that's um, it's got to pass two tests, um, Stephen. Um, it's got to pass the Peter O'Sullivan commentary test, um, and if it passes that, it's then got to pass that. I'm going to breed my, if it's a cult, I'm going to breed my mare to blah tests. Like, you know, is that a stallion's name? Um, or is that a top, wonderful broodmare's name? Um, so we do take a lot of time and trouble. Um, it's a lot of patience required. Um, but at the end of the day, I think um, it makes a difference. I think that they're more memorable, not just to our share owners, but hopefully also to the public. And following Highclere, you know, you'll probably, you know, say, oh, that's a Highclere, Highclere horse, Highclere name. Um and um, yeah, we've got a cracking group of names for our, our current, you know, group of uh, two-year-olds, um, which uh, is us in the office. It's share owners. It's anyone. Anyone can suggest a name. We don't mind where it comes from, just so long as it uh, passes that criteria. Before we talk about Cachet's racing career, one question on the uh, the late Queen. Uh, you must have observed through your father her passion and love of horse racing. Very much so. Um, we obviously, the, um, my brother, my sister, I were very, you know, privileged and to have grown up with the Queen around a, a, a lot. Um, she and my dad were great friends, and 
obviously with the racing and she come and stay at um at Milford um where we live Milford Lake house a house on the estate of Highclere and um her passion yeah it was, was second to none her knowledge was second to none and I think you know one of the, the things that that, that was so you know so sad to my brother-in-law obviously that is is that uh, he had a like my father had all those years talking to the queen almost on a daily basis um so my brother-in-law john warren did um after my dad died and he took on that role um and um it's a very very special very unique relationship but uh, yeah she she she's a was, was a remarkable woman you know, she bred some wonderful horses. She loved her racing. She loved the horse. She absolutely passionate about the horse. Um, and what's so exciting for our uh, our sport in this country is that the current king and queen have have gone on and um, you know are absolutely uh, you know madly keen, which is so exciting and um, something that um, you know is a is a relief, I think, to every one of us involved. That's really important for the sport going forward, isn't it? It's so important. And last year, the King enjoying and Queen enjoying their first winner at Royal Ascot, you know, that was one of the great moments. Um, absolutely phenomenal. You know, he was so emotional. Um, they both were, I think, after that win. And that's that's what it's all about, isn't it? That's what that's what grips us, the emotion that these big, any race winner, but those big race day winners um, generate something, you know, even more extraordinary. I think in 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 us and 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 he felt that probably for the first time when his horse won the um, the King George the Fifth handicap. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's get back to Kasia and her journey. After the breeze up sales, she she won first time out on the fifteenth of May at Newmarket. Yes, that was a terrific win. Um, you know, she virtually the style of racing was making all. She loved Newmarket, um, and she was still quite a raw animal at that time. So she was doing it very much on natural, you know, ability. Um, you know, and she went to Royal Ascot. She you know, she sort of danced every dance as a two-year-old. She didn't win her bold black type, but she's um, placed in the Phillies mile. Um, you know, she'd given a clear signal that she was getting better um, and that she, you know, was going to win a black type race at some point. But when as a three-year-old she came out, she'd been training very well and physically, you know, there'd been a significant transformation from two to three. She really had strengthened up. Um, I mean, she won the Nell Gwynn, you know, it, it, um, it was highly impressive. 
And then, of course, Guinea's Day came, and um, John, Warren, and Jake and I went to have a look at her, you know, round where she was, you know, before they come in the pre-parade ring um, in the stables area, they're walking round, and we were looking at the opposition, and she really did shine as the one who was the paddock pick. That's not just being biased. I mean, she she really did. She looked phenomenal. Others were still a bit, you know, wintry. You know, Aidan O'Brien's filly looked lovely, but, you know, again, they just, just looked a bit wintry. Um, so we thought, my goodness, we we might have a shot here. But, oh, yeah, that oh, that last furlong was a, took an eternity um, for her to run. Um, and we could see Rafe Beckett's filly getting closer and closer. <laughs> um, but thankfully, the... The winning post came in time and, you know, we were all there. We, we, we you know, um, Jake's kids were there and family was all there. Um, you know, it was a massively emotional, the whole, the whole thing. And, um, you know, we know how difficult it is. You know, my, my, my dad was in racing a lifetime, never won a classic, you know, got within a, you know, a couple of um, heads of winning a classic, but didn't, didn't win it. They, you know, it's, really tricky um so to win a guineas with a with a filly was was so special and the the um especially with george in what his second or third year of training um his family were all there and the, the when she came into the winner's enclosure it was the most extraordinary noise and um and you know i think people really loved to see all of us getting so emotional and you know it really sort of soaked it up that this was a bit special and a bit different. It was a very crowded uh, winners' enclosure with all the syndicate members. I remember being there on that day. It was. It was. You know, it's what it's all about. It's. Um, I think sometimes people they think of syndicates and they go, oh, you know, loads of people. I won't feel like I'm involved, and you know, won't really feel like my horse is such. You know, such rubbish. That I mean, it's proven beyond a shadow of the doubt people actually sharing as love that there are other people um you celebrate together you commiserate together um um and that sort of build up together is something very special and people make new friends and you know and obviously with this philly they you know they've made sort of you know some some of them made friends for life um and want to go into the same syndicates to see if lightning can strike twice so there you know a number of them are also in um Believing, who's a very good filly, um, who was third in the um, in the Haydock Park Sprint Cup, um, and she'll be headed for Royal Ascot um, for the King Stand. And she's a you know with George, she's a very fast filly, Group One placed already, Group Three winner, um, big career ahead of her, and uh, this year I think. Um, and then into Soprano also with George, who was multiple Group placed last year, and who might be running, um, she could run in a Nell Gwynn possibly. So you've got a dream, got a dream, um, Stephen, haven't you? You know, and hope that this might be the one or another one. <laughs> and, and Cache beat a very strong field. You've mentioned Rafe Beckett's uh, Prosperous Voice, who who later that year beat um, in Spiral. And Tuesday, the Aidan O'Brien filly, who won the Oaks and then went on to win uh, at the Breeders' Cup meeting. Yeah, it was, it was three or four at least group one winners behind her. Um, very, It was a very, very good field. Um, and, you know, she very nearly um, backed it up with a win in the French Guineas, um, in the Pouliche. Um, had, had she not stumbled coming out the stores, I think she would have won, actually. Um, but, um, look, she's got beaten ahead in, a, in another classic. And, um, and then she went to Ascot, uh, Royal Ascot for the coronation. 
and she didn't run badly, but she wasn't quite the same filly. And James um, Dawes at the time, he said, he says, I was in the stalls looking up at the, you know, the hill ahead where they start the, the round, the round mile. He said, um, he said, I was going, hmm, this is going to, this is going to test this filly. Um, so I think I think that very stiff mile was too much for her. And then she developed a, a sinus issue, which really sort of effectively finished her, her career. Um, but um, yeah, we'll never forget that great day at Newmarket. Um, and, um, you know, these are wonderful landmarks. And we've actually, um, you know, having her sculpted at the moment, um, you know, for share owners, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll want to buy a you know, from Charlie Langton, this beautiful, um, beautiful sculpture um, that he's done, bronze that he's done of her. Well, next subject, we're going to talk about cricket, which I'm, I understand you, you're a big follower. Well, I, I don't know that I'm a big follower. My my dad was super keen. I mean, he really loved um, cricket, he had his own, um, you know, we've got a cricket pitch at Highclere. Um, he had his own side, um, the Ella Carnarvon's 11, and, and he would play um, you know, with friends of his, good cricketers, and obviously some Hampshire cricketers when he could get them, um, playing against the Eton Ramblers, Harrow Wanderers, you know, Green Jackets, um, Lords and Commons, uh, Wickhamists, um, Arabs, you know, it was uh, Isingari, those sorts of, um, you know, well-known clubs that, that, that you know, were very competitive. And my dad was very competitive. Um, and that's why people love coming to Highclere to, to play because it was all, it wasn't just Lardy Dar, country house, you know, cricket. Um, it was cricket where it mattered that, that uh, you try and win, um, played at a decent level, um, but with lots of laughs, you know, a, a, along the way. It was a very good blend. Um, and sadly, I mean, my brother and I would just, you know, we were, were, were pretty useless at cricket um very much sort of third 11 type merchants um but when it was important for me to help him with the cricket um in helping to run it and you know play and um you know it was it was it was it was really exciting i absolutely loved it and um um you know the weirdest thing is placing former england captains or you know you know taking someone who used to bowl for england off and putting someone else on you know it was i felt a bit of a fraud doing these sorts of things but i was helped by colin ingleby mckenzie great former captain of hampshire and swash butler and bon viver who was um played in most of the matches and um was a very good was a very good sort of vice captain if you like so which 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 bowlers did you um, put on to bowl and take off and things like I that? Know. I mean, I, 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 all things I should be able to re remember, but it was, I mean, I grew up with people like um, Ted Dexter, um, you know, playing. It wasn't Sunday League, I think, in those days. Um, you know, Peter May, Dennis Compton, um, you know, extraordinary great cricketers who would come down and stay the weekend at, at home um, and then would be giving me a cricket lesson you know, on the back lawn before, you know, I mean, Dexter scored a century. I think most times he played, he played for my dad. Um, and that would get him in great shape and confidence for the test match the following week. Um, so it, it was fun. It was great fun. And, and um, and and it, you know, I think, as I say, my people, my my dad created a wonderful atmosphere um, and, and folks, you know, wanted to come and play for him and, um, and it was good cricket, played at a 
you know, in the right spirit. And on Thursday, the 23rd of June, 1994, at Highclere Castle, the Earl of Carnarvon's Eleven played South Africa, the first time South Africa had played in England since 1965, a gap of 29 years. I went to the game myself and I dug out the brochure the other day. Oh, and, uh, fantastic. You, you, you were involved in, in I was, that game. I was, I was very involved. I was helping to... to um, market the castle at the time and um you know and 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 uh, we'd done a an event for alfred dunhill um which was a big clay pigeon shoot very sort of posh smart clay pigeon shoot and um there was a a dinner in the castle afterwards and alfred dunhill's owned by richemont um which is owned by johan rupert a well-known you know south african um you know businessman billionaire and Johan is my, I'm six foot six, and Johan's sort of my height and twice as wide. And, you know, he um, slapped me on the back at the end of the evening. He said, um, oh, you know, we've had a great day next year. He said, we'll um, um, you know, we'll do the same thing again. And I went, oh, marvellous, that'd be great. And thinking, yes, you know, another piece of business. And then he said, I see you've got a cricket pitch here. And I went, yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, my dad's got a, a side that I help run. And, yeah, it's a, you know, we, it's pretty good cricket. And, um he said, I could have been a professional cricketer. <laughs> Instead of telling him, Johan, you could have done anything. Um, I said, um, oh, you know, really? I said, I could have been a professional golfer. And he, he's, um, he's not a man to cross, um, Johan. And he then said, right. He said, my side against your side. We'll do it before the shoot next year. My side against your side, and I will whoop your you-know-what. So he shook hands, but she crushed my hand. And then two weeks later, he called up and he said, have you got your side together yet? And I went, oh, come on. I said, we've got months to worry about that. And he said, my friend, you don't have months. He said, you better get that uh, that uh, damaged hamstring of the vicar. You better get him to physio quickly because I'm bringing the South African national side and I will whoop your, you know what. And I thought, I don't believe this. I do not believe this. But I did, because he said, your next call, he said, will be from Ali Baka. Um, and uh, so start looking for a decent side. And bang, the phone went down. So Ali Baka comes, <laughs> comes on. And, uh, you know, Ali says, I don't know who you are. I don't know. I've never heard of Carnarvon. Um, I don't know anything about this high clear place. And it won't happen. I'm off to Lords now. So I said, okay, well, whatever. I'm just doing what Johan, you know, you know, said we, 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 what would be happening. So he goes to Lords, and I think there are people like Dexter or or Peter May around the table. And when he says the first item is the first game, and this won't happen, this con I can't pronounce it, Carnivorny or something. This won't happen. And they said it certainly will. We played um, Ted. How many centuries have you, you know, scored? And you know, and and he he went. You've heard of this place? They said, Yeah, of course we have. We've all played there. It's a fantastic pitch, um, and uh, it definitely should happen there. You know, it's uh, normally that you know the Duchess of Norfolk's um, eleven at Arundel, but let's do something a bit different. So there we go. I I met David Gower, and I. I've read in the paper that he'd been dropped for the, you know, for the um, Ashes tour, I think it was. And um, and I called him up and I said, would you ever come down to the pub and have some lunch? I've, I've got something I'd love to run by you. So he came along and I said, well, I'm really sorry you know, about the 
Ashes tour with us, and he said, oh, so it's a real pain. So the biggest problem is I'm not going to play against South Africa, um, you know, because which has been my, you know, obviously been a dream, you know, to, to, to play against. And um, so I said, well, that actually is not quite true, because here's the deal. Um, will you captain my dad's side? And he just thought I was taking it. He said, you're telling me the first game out of apartheid for 29 years is going to be at Highclere against your father's 11. I said, yep, absolutely, going to happen. And um, will you captain it? And he just said, oh, I'd be honoured to. be amazing. He said, well, who do you want on your side? And I said, well, I definitely want Shane Warren. <laughs> he, he just laughed. He said, you've got to be joking. You're not going to get Shane Warren. He's like sort of... You know, he's the most important, not just most important cricketer in the world right now, he's one of the most important sportsmen. There's no way in the world we're going to get Shane. I said, well, let's call him. And he said, I'll tell you what, you call him. Here's his, here's his number. And you call him, say I've given you the number, you've given him the number. And just, it's just instinct tells me it might be a better way of doing it. So I did. He couldn't have been nicer. He said, yeah, I'll be doing a Nike ad in America. So he said, you pay my way around first class um, return trip. He said, um, I'd love to. And he said, and make sure it's fun. He said, don't make it boring, mate. I said, it will not be boring. It will be great fun. And um, thank you very much, Shane. You know, we'll be in touch. Um, and we went from there, you know, the Carl Hooper and some of the other, I can't remember the other players we yeah, got. Courtney Walsh played, I looked up, and Courtney Chris Broad Walsh. played. Yeah, That's right. It was an extraordinary moment. I mean, I think I think it was probably about a month or six weeks before the game when um, Johan called up and was a bit blunt, saying, I want you in my office tomorrow morning. You know, I need to have a very urgent talk to you. I went, oh, Lord. So I thought maybe it's been cancelled. So I go in and and um, and he says to me, sort of, who is... He said, don't embarrass me. You're not going to embarrass me, are you? And, uh, you know, with this game of cricket, have you got some useless side against, you know, we are a very good side, South Africa. So I said to him, well, don't you embarrass my father um, with your side? And these sort of secretaries ran for the door. No one talks to Johan like this. And he smiled and he said, OK, so who is on your side that I should be so scared of? And I said, OK, here's the deal. I said, uh, you know, and I went through the David Gower will captain the side. No, 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 no. You've not got David Gower. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I said, and um, Shane Warne will be flying over from Australia. No, now you're taking the you-know-what. I said, no, I'm not. No, he's coming. Um, and I went, boom, bidi, boom, bidi, boom. Oh, I said, and by the way, the Queen's coming, the Duke of Edinburgh's coming, and the Prime Minister's coming. So I assume that you've sorted President Mandela. <laughs> it was sort of man down. It was like sort of watching a big heavyweight boxer, slumped to the floor. Um the Queen did come, as you know, and the Duke of Edinburgh came. The Prime Minister couldn't for various reasons. He loved cricket, um, John Major, but he couldn't he couldn't make it. Um, and it was played under the clear blue skies. And and Steve, you remember when that that um uh coach arrived, the South African coach, and the players got off it, and um, you know, you're looking at the fittest, hardest group of players, you know, you could possibly see. Um, and John T. Rhodes, do you remember he put a they put a stump in the ground um and they you know tapped a ball, you know, 25, 20 yards, 25 yards away from him. And he had to pick up, you know, pretty much at full tilt um turn and he knocked the stump down, I think three out of five times, a single stump. And, you know, it just was sort of theater of the highest order. 
And uh, yeah, it was special, very special. Those pictures of the Queen meeting, um, beating both teams, um, Kepler Wessels captaining, you know, Hansi Kronje, you know, what the tragedy that became of him. And, um, you know, wonderful dinner in the castle afterwards, uh, which was very special. Um, and um, I think the uh, the management, the South African management, was, were really struggling to get their um, their players back home and prepared for the. I think the first pro game was against Kent, but it was it was very special. And um, all thanks to Johan Rupert, and you know who's a, who's a good friend, Johan. And we every time we see one another, we talk about we talk about this game and and what happened and and how. Uh, you know how utterly memorable and appropriate it was, really. You know to have um, the Queen and Duke of Edinburgh, you know, there to witness it. Yeah, the Earl of Carnarvon's eleven two hundred twenty three, South Africa two two four for three. Uh, John T. Rose got a century and Kepler sixty eight. So the South African team winning by seven wickets. You ought to have a, what to try and get another one of those games at, at Highclere Castle. <laughs> Uh, I, I, do, do you know it was? It would be fantastic. It'd be up to my my brother runs it all now, so it'd be up to him to sort that. Um, I'm not, I'm not involved, but it. You never know. You just you just never know. It's a it's such a beautiful, um, you know, it's such a beautiful pitch, you know, and ground, you know, and uh, and it passed all the tests, you know, the the you know all the inspections for the for the wicket and 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 then it just looked so picturesque that day. Um, it looked tiny because, of course, having all the grandstands around, as you will remember, and all the marquees that suddenly it held this what seemed to be a slightly bigger ground turned into um, something that looked much smaller. But it was it, it was in perfect shape for the day. Um, and um, it was just extraordinary. I mean, I, I, extraordinary. I don't think I've ever been more tired in my life. I don't know how the day ended, actually. I, I remember I was with... Shane Warne at the Grand Piano in the castle at Highclere with a bottle of um, um, very old whiskey. <laughs> I must have been Alfred Dunhill whiskey. And that's all I remember of the day. I was composing his Nike jingle on the piano with him having, you know, cackling away behind me, you know, sort of helping and uh, the day disappeared. But, That's um, a fairly, fairly good memory, and you must have done a good advert for Highclere Castle with with Downton Abbey and and, and Bake Off. Well, <laughs> well, there you go. Those were those were a lot later, obviously. Um, <laughs> it was very much the time, yes, of getting you know more of that sort of scenario for Highclere and uh, movies, and you know Eyes Wide Shut um, was part of that. It was filmed there with Tom Cruise and um, Nicole Kidman and and other movies, and uh, but obviously the. Downton Abbey that um, my brother and sister-in-law, um, you know, got through with, with Julian Fellows was was totally transformed the place and, you know, great credit to them. Fantastic to have got that, to, um, you know, which is, which is a, you know, world-renowned show, which brings in obviously an awful lot of visitors every year. You've never been an extra on Downton Abbey then? No, not invited, sadly. I'd be very keen. I wanted to be, you know, you thought I could have been an extra in one of these sorts of things, sort of. Um, but um, no, no, my my career took a different path, um, Stephen. So I'm happy where, happy, very happy where I, you know, the path I took. But that brings back really terrific memories. Um, 
I think you were one of the very few people who were there. I don't know how many there, probably 5,000, 4,000, something like that, that were there on the day. Um, and, um, yeah, those that were there, I think, witnessed a very important bit of history. So 2024 for High Clear Thoroughbred Racing, uh, any chance of classic success this year, a derby runner? Possible. Um, dreams are, at the time of talking right now, very much alive. Um, with um you know we've got <laughs> i've always sort of given such um stick for my you know hopes that we got to yeah we've got a, a, a very good horse with uh, roger Berrien called defiance um who won his debut um at sandown uh, we then ran him in the royal lodge um not something that roger wanted to do at that particular time but there's something that I thought, well, let's see where he's, we stand with him. And he ran a hell of a race. He probably finished sixth or seventh, but he travelled into the race like a good horse um, and proved that he was going to be a, a middle-distance horse, you know, to to to, um, to go places this year as a three-year-old. And physically, he's transformed himself from from two to three. Um, you know, he's a very exciting colt. So I hope that he'll be he'll be something. Um, soprano with George Bowie, um, lovely three-year-old filly. Um, multiple group placed as a two-year-old. Um, I think she's very good. And she's quite a big filly. She she should improve significantly this year. Could go for the uh, Nell Gwynn, as I said earlier, but she's certainly one to watch. Um, and then, yeah, there's a lot of lot, you know, some nice horses, you know, horses that are either very lightly raced that hopefully will, will bubble up. And as I said, you know, believing, very, very fast filly. Um, spy catcher, you know, placed in... Um, very nearly won Group 1 in France last year and placed again in the Group 1 at the end of the season on Champions Day in the sprint um, with Carl Burke. He's another, you know, will be running in all the top um, six furlong sprints, ground allowing. Um, Sheik Columbine might, if she wins in France, might go to the French um, guineas. Um, so, uh, yeah, we've got some lovely, lovely horses um, and, uh, you know, we, we'll be very hopeful that with the three-year-olds, older horses, and, of course, all those superstar two-year-olds unraced at the moment, <laughs> that, so that a few will will bubble to the surface and carry those pale blue silks to, to a bit more glory. Well, to end, you must be proud of what your team have achieved with High Clear, Europe's leading racehorse syndicate company. Well, I think, um, yeah, hugely, hugely, hugely proud. Um, set out to as I said earlier, to try and give our share owners the best chance of competing at, at, a, at a high level. Um, and, you know, the list of not just the classics, but the, you know, the champions, the, the, the number of horses that have won or placed in group one races is exciting. And, you know, we've had probably about a hundred, I think just over a hundred runners at Royal Ascot. Um, and about 38% of those runners um, have finished in the first four, which is a incredible achievement. Um, and and that's I think what Highclere is all about. It, it it's it really is giving our owners the best shot of of the high days, holidays, the races we all dream about having a runner in. Um, and um, hopefully with Defiance, um, you know, we'll have another runner in the Derby. Um, you know, we we won with Motivator for the Royal Ascot Racing Club. We're um, third um, with Housemaster um, all these years ago, and we've had probably three or four other runners that have, have run well. And we've been placed in the Oaks. Um, so it's all possible. And I think you've got to, you know, retain a really positive attitude, at the start of every season and, you know, make your plans and, 
and um, and see where these horses take us. We've got great trainers, you know. We've got you know wonderful group of share owners, um, and um, I am very proud of my team here at Highclere who worked so hard keeping everything rolling. Um, so um, you know the big the big reward is uh, a, a winning and competing in some of these um, very important and historic races. And it won't be long, that long, until the breeze ups when you might find another cachet. We'll be looking. We'll be looking. Um, yeah, we'll be headed off there, what are they, mid-April. Um, so, um, you know, they've become an important source. The breeze up sales are, are, are you know, are, are very different, you know, over the last sort of five years to what they've been in previous years. They're much, you know, tend to be better catalogues, better horses. Um, but um, they're also very expensive, as we saw you know the uh, van, whatnot, last year costing six hundred thousand um, plus, but going on to be champion. You know, one of the champion two-year-old, not champion two-year-old, was probably second highest-rated two-year-old and the highest um, British trained two-year-old. So um, the breeze ups can throw up a very good horse nowadays. So we'll be we'll be looking carefully. Jake Warren will be studying away, and I'll be going in there thinking, and how much money I'm going to spend. Well, thank you very much, Harry. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Um, had a chance to uh, remember uh, fond days of cricket at uh, Highclere Castle and also uh, Cachet's journey to success in the Thousand Guineas in 2022. Oh, look, it's my, my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me on. And um, um, it's fun. It's fun um, having those trips down memory lane. And uh, But uh, for now, it's looking forward. Podcast Network.